This talk is about societal support and motivation for healthy ageing. Um, I've been involved in the CALM project in Copenhagen about healthy ageing, and this has had deep involvement with social scientists. So what I'm going to do is try to present an overview um, with some sociocultural paradigms of ageing and how these are related to biological outcomes of these social processes. So how does societal support help healthy ageing? Um, as people live longer, there's a societal expectation that people should stay healthy for as long as conceivably possible and not to be a burden on society or their families. To introduce the idea of healthy ageing, um, the European Union, the European Commission, has uh, um, put together um, definitions of acti active and healthy ageing as the process of optimising opportunities for health, health, participation and security to enhance the quality of life as people age. Um, health is physical, mental and social, especially social in this context, and act active refers to continuing participation in social, economic, cultural, spiritual and civic affairs, as well as having the ability to be physically active or to participate in the labour force. So there's a focus on the social and there's a focus on the economic. With anthropology, um, social theories of ageing um, can be summarised with the continuity theory as older adults maintain the same activities, behaviours, personalities and relationships as in their earlier years. Older adults try to maintain this continuity of life by adapting their living strategies um, so that they're connected to their past experiences, so in maintaining meaning. Another way of, of thinking about uh, um, ageing from an anthropological perspective is in relation to activity. Uh, successful ageing takes place when older adults stay active and maintain their social interactions. There is a third idea which is, which is less positive, which is one of disengagement, that ageing is an, an inevitable mutual withdrawal or disengagement of society, resulting in decreased interaction between this person and others uh, in the social system they live in. It's natural and acceptable for older adults to withdraw from society. Um, disengagement and social death has been well documented, especially in Inuit society, which is the opposite of well-being, so that well-being and social death clarified the meaning of each other. The loss of social identity, the loss of social connectedness, losses associated with disintegration of body lead to a, an underlying notion of social death. Um, so that introduces healthy ageing and its mirror, um, the disengagement from society. What are other kinds of anthropological approaches? Evolutionary theory, for example. Um, how can we use evolutionary theory? One approach is to take a life history approach. Um, how can we see ageing in a positive life, light, first through family and through life history? Well, first of all, we have to start by thinking about what life history theory is. Uh, for this purpose, um, it's an adaptationist idea. Development is different in, at different stages of life cycle and duration of each stage relates to function, food acquisition, reproduction, ultimately. 
Um, underpinning this is the life history, life cycle of an organism, colony or society as the basic unit of natural selection, not as the gene as Richard Dawkins would have it. So components of human life history usually focus on things like pregnancy, litter size, growth trajectories, the onset of reproduction. We think about humans, the pregnancy is nine months long. Litter size is most usually one, and growth trajectories are such that adult size is reached by about the age of 18, and the onset of reproduction, as evidenced by the onset of uh, menaces among, among females, is around 13 years in Western societies. Another component of human life history is the lifespan. And in Western societies, the lifespan is getting longer and longer. As the human lifespan gets longer, uh, we have to think of what it is about get longer lifespan that contributes to, to human evolutionary success. So what is the value of the, li of the human lifespan? Well, humans care for their young at all ages. Uh, Rebecca Sear and Ruth Mace have extended this to, to suggest that we are evolved to raise children as an extended family enterprise, not as a nuclear family enterprise as we have it most usually in the West. In traditional societies, it's usually grandmothers that help to keep children alive. Um, that is, that they uh, keep mortality down by um, uh, alloparenting, by helping to bring up children, uh, helping to uh, maintain healthy uh, practices that uh, reduce mortality. Um, this has been, been shown again by, uh, by uh, Ruth Mace and Rebecca Sear, uh, but also by Barbara Strassman and colleagues who did a meta-analysis of the association between grandparental and grandchild survivorship in a range of traditional societies, showing that there is um, an, a survivorship advantage in, in traditional societies. It doesn't have to just be in traditional societies. In, in, in Finland, for example, good historical demography studies have shown that the fitness benefits of prolonged post-reproductive lifespan in women is much higher if the grandmother is alive rather than if she, she, um, she died at an earlier stage. So through care and through alloparenting, uh, younger, fitter females have stronger effect on lowering infant mortality rate. So what do grandmothers and grandmothers have a strong effect on lowering infant mortality rate? Grandmothers die, then mortality rates of children are higher. So what do grandmothers have? Uh, they have forms of capital, um, economic forms of capital, usually more than in earlier life. Um, they have material forms of capital. They've got you know, more material goods. They may have a lifetime of social capital through uh, uh, their relationships. One thing that does diminish, though, is embodied capital. Bodies become increasingly frail as people get older. And the symbolic capital associated with age is something that varies from society to society and from time to time. That is, are older people valued for their wisdom and their abilities and, and, and so on? Or are they pushed to one side as they are increasingly in, in many Western societies? But is there a reverse effect? Caring for grandchildren and grandparents' health? And the answer is yes, especially self-rated health. It's important because this takes into account both positive and negative um, outlooks. In the United States, this has been often been seen to be negative, but this is often associated with socioeconomic factors that mean that 
um, some grandparents take on a grandparenting role when mothers die. These may be uh, women who are um, at, at particular risk in, in certain uh, aspects, uh, certain parts of uh, U.S. society. So, for example, there may be women who become HIV positive, use crack cocaine, and um, uh, be, um, uh, become pregnant in their teen years, die at an early age, leaving their grandmothers to take them over, in which case grandparenting is not a positive thing for uh, looking after grandchildren is not a positive thing for for, uh, for grandparenting but in other contexts you take away the socioeconomic component then there's a positive impact that is the social engagement of caring for young children um, has uh, positive effects certainly on physically active and able older people so underpinning this all of this are social relations Sociality drives biological productivity um, and support for reproduction and subsistence from an evolution perspective. And it also helps to build embodied capital through growth and survivorship of, of, uh, of younger children. All of this is done in the social context. So let's develop this social context and continue to examine what it is about social relations. Well, social relations underpin human success and survival, regardless of where those human beings might be. It's dynamic and interactive. It's constantly changing. Any conversation that you have, for example, is a dynamic process. You're having to think on your feet. Um, it's something that persists through time and space. There may be some people you say hello to once, but indeed there are many people that you develop social relations across time, and therefore you develop memories about what people do, um, what their successes and their and, and their, their failures might have been. You uh, um, discuss aspects of their life across time, and there's a reciprocal set of relationships that underpin this as well. So you expect that if you ask about somebody how they are, then you expect them to ask you as well. So there's a reciprocal uh, ebb and flow in in uh, in social relations. All of these lead to the conclusion that social relations are cognition intensive and one aspect of healthy aging is keeping the mind alive and keeping the mind lively the most natural way of keeping the mind alive and lively is in relation to understanding um, and uh, interacting uh, with other people around you so key issue in sociality and aging is maintaining community both physically virtually um, and, and, and and staying active there are some examples of how healthy aging can be enhanced by particular kinds of activities and um, with respect to physical activity there's good evidence about walking groups hiking groups things like social dancing that help to counter the erosion of social and cultural capital that's associated with aging and to provide informal support into later life. Another thing that underpins sociality and feeds back into sociality is, is eating, eating meals together, the social facilitation of, of eating and uh, um, promotes sociality. Um, but sociality itself leads to better eating. People who are more social in, uh, and eat socially like to eat more food at a time of life uh, when uh, interest in eating generally uh, starts to decline. Um, 
Social in integration is also important for maintaining cognitive function at a time when cognitive function is generally declining. How to maintain social integration when society is fragmenting? Modern Western society is increasingly atomizing the way that people live their lives. And uh, one way, uh, which I noticed when I was in, in Bologna and, and uh, spoke to the organizers, was the, the organization of social streets. Bologna has the world's first social street in a place called Via Fondazza. Um, in this case, um, the social street is a reinvention of the village. All it takes is a handshake and to introduce somebody who lives in your street. The boundary is the street. People talk to each other and they help each other out. So this first group was started in September 2013. There's a Facebook group, there's social interaction on the street, and the aim of the social street is to socialize with neighbors, to make bonds, share needs, exchange expertise and knowledge, have collective projects of common interest, and to have the benefits of social interactions. Now, older people's engagement in social street, well, they have time. And to keep people engaged, they're involved in, in, in babysitting, residence committees. Um, they are in all kinds of support. Uh, they can take on all kinds of support uh, roles in staying useful and being part of society. Another way of maintaining social integration is through walking groups. In the United Kingdom, walking groups and the elderly very, very common. Walking groups are good for the uh, for reducing blood pressure, good for reducing body fat, and good for reducing depression. However, again, there's a socioeconomic component to this. We can't all live in very pretty places. What gets in the way? We can't um, all live in the finest of urban environments. There is mental discordance and urban form. In some places um, where the urban environment is less than pretty, which might be disordered, might be perceived as dangerous, um, a perception of urban disorder is seen as a signal of a breakdown of the social order. Um, and so encouraging people to walk in those kinds of contexts when there isn't something particularly attractive to look at and potentially potentially dangerous uh, is uh, uh, shifts uh, shifts uh, uh, this idea to uh, as in the united states walking groups that walk in shopping malls because there's something to look at they're seen as being more nicer in many ways and 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 people um, uh, uh, perceive things as being safe Yet another way of maintaining social integration, and one that I particularly like, is, is the one of, dance, uh, of social dancing. Um, why dancing? Well, dancing is um, the mother of all cognition, as has been, uh, as, as been uh, um, suggested by anthropologist Sheets Johnson in, uh, in 1966. Um, Human movement precipitates human thoughts in early childhood development and across life. We have a choreographed life of physical activity that we have, um, you know, we we, uh, we we have embedded in us. So dance is non-utilitarian human movement. It's aesthetic, and people all over the world um, dance everywhere, everywhere. Jonathan Skinner has studied social dancing for uh, among uh, older uh, older people and examines the extent to which it's something that can be uh, a, a model for health happiness and social inclusion well he examined three places sacramento uh, blackpool in the uk belfast 
and examined the way that people engaged in dance. And uh, um, all of them were had aspects of uh, of uh, of, uh, of health and well-being, especially in relation to sociality. So social dancing. Um, there are memories of previous dance nights and dance parties, partners. People are dancing in the past, they're dancing in the present. Um, they are very much in the here and now of dancing, the immediacy of dancing rather than prelude to the dance or the cup of tea after the dance or returning home after dancing results in feelings of happiness, absence of aches and pains and the release of endorphins, the loss of self-consciousness and sudden motility. It has all kinds of positive things and is done in the social context. There are a whole range of ways of thinking about um, maintaining um, sociality and physical activity and, and healthy ageing. So, you know, to summarise, there's a number of things that arise from this, that life history and physical activity and social relations are all fundamentally important for, for healthy ageing. Um, to do this, though, we can't just say that older people are on the scrap heap, that uh, they move into a period of, of uh, inactivity. Post-retirement, most people want to remain useful in one way or another. And it would be useful to reframe post-retirement people as being socially and economically important. Social participation and social communication among ageing populations are as important to health and well-being as good diet and physical activity. So there's an importance to be able to create and maintain sociality and healthy ageing as, uh, as, as people get older. Um, this is where I'd like to stop and uh, um, I think uh, uh, there are many other aspects that could be considered in relation to, uh, in relation to sociality and, and healthy ageing. This is just my particular take on it. Thank you.